0: Hi, this is Him we proclaim with Doctor John Vaughnville. You know, going to church every weekend can be a touchy topic. Some people aren't physically able to make it to church. Others have been disillusioned by false shepherds, or sometimes it's simply impossible because a nation has to shut down businesses and churches for a while to protect people's health. The list is extensive. John Fonville knows the challenges and says that God asks His people to gather so they can be spiritually nourished and have their faith confirmed and encouraged. Today he's going to walk us through some gospel Center teaching about gathering in a message called He Knows We Are Sheep. Here's part one.
1: What we've been looking at is this, is I'm trying to help myself and then help you Learn how to keep God's law. Learn how to be obedient, right? Without killing yourself through failed attempts at holiness. That's the whole purpose of what I'm trying to help you with. Because I'm trying to do that for myself. The goal and the prayer for this series is for God so to enlarge our hearts by grace, by the gospel that our hearts will flow with gratitude to obey, right? Uh, As Walter Marshall put it, he says, I want you to run in the way of his commandments with great cheerfulness and joy and thanksgiving. That's how how I want to live. Who else wants to live like that, right? Right? Instead of this oppressive, exasperating, do your duty, right? <laughs> but why is it so hard? Well, we've looked at a couple of reasons. We're going to look at some more, but two big ones is the first is because the gospel way of obedience is far above the way you and I naturally think. Second is because the gospel way of obedience requires double the work. This is so important, this double work. What is it? We have to constantly unlearn uh, many of our old deep-rooted notions of the way of life that the Bible calls holiness. Also, we have to learn the true gospel way of obedience of the pursuit of holiness, of godliness. And I said that a word of caution is needed here because when it comes to this double work of unlearning and relearning, there's a potential danger involved, which is this. Too often when, when believers hear, oh gosh, I've got double work, I have to unlearn and I've got to relearn, they make the mistake of thinking that this double work is a solo effort But I take you back to Ephesians 4 because from Ephesians chapter 4, it destroys this notion of self-feeding. The problem I said with self-feeding is that sheep don't feed themselves with proper nutrition. Listen again to what this Australian sheep farmer said. He says a quote. He says, "If anyone tries to tell you that sheep have an instinct to eat the right food, just laugh." Um, I was talking with my father-in-law about this. Uh, Catherine's dad, Catherine's dad, grew up on a farm in the hills of Southwest Virginia, Errad, Virginia. If you've never been to Errad, Virginia, you need to go. It is the cultural experience of experiences in our country. you have to have a translator to understand English up there. (laughs) I mean, they still have moonshine on top of the mountain, and I kid you not, it comes down to the valley where we are in mason jars. I have seen it. I haven't tasted it, (laughs) but I have seen it. It's a whole different world. But so he grew up in this farm in here at Virginia, They had sheep on his farm. And he told me about the story about it. He said that the sheep were kept on top of the mountain where they could graze in the open fields up on the mountain. The reason for this was because ivy grew in the fields below the mountain, but ivy didn't grow on top of the mountain. He says, so if the sheep were placed in the fields below the mountain, they would eat the ivy and they would die. He says, so it was vital that the farmers put their sheep in the proper pasture on top of the mountain where there was lush green pasture, but where ivy didn't grow. Because the correct pasture literally was was a matter of life and death for the sheep. Believers are sheep. You heard it in the call to worship from Psalm one hundred. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Believers like sheep do not have an instinct to eat the right spiritual food. Believers like sheep will wander into pastures that are filled with ivy. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14, that if left to themselves Believers, this is what he says, are like unstable, immature children who are like little boats in a stormy sea. Listen, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. So instead of being grounded in a solid confession of the faith, the beliefs of unstable, immature, solo, churchless Christians tends to be this. Their beliefs tend to be the last celebrity preacher they heard at a conference or the last celebrity preacher they heard on a podcast or the last popular book that they read from the Christian living section in the Christian bookstore. And so consequently, unstable, immature believers easily fall prey to each new theological fad, always running about looking for the next big thing. I was thinking about that this week, and um, we live in a culture of what's the next big thing. And this cultural mindset has infected the church. I was reading an article this week that was published in Yahoo Finance back in 2016, and this article perfectly illustrates the cultural mindset of what's the next big thing. The title of the article is this. It is, it is quote, Apple is still a star without Steve Jobs, but doubts linger. It was published on October 4th, 2016 at the release of iPhone 7, now we're at iPhone 11. Unfortunately, some of you I've talked to have forsaken and apostatized And you've gone to Android. Just can't believe it. Like, this is an Apple-only church, man. And your wife is on the vestry. She is our church treasurer. I don't know if we can trust her now. Gosh. Repent. All right, that's the Apple gospel. All right, so this... This, uh, this article discusses the trends around the release of the iPhone 7, all right? I, I do have my iPhone 11 down here. I'll show it to you afterwards. It's brilliant. <laughs> uh, so at the time of this article, listen to this. This is crazy. Apple was valued as the world's most valuable corporation. It was valued at more than $600 billion, Would somebody just write a letter to Apple and say, would you build Paramount a cathedral? (laughs) Wouldn't cost him a dime. But this article expresses concerns and states that some analysts question whether Apple is losing momentum. And then it closed a technology analyst who I want you to listen to what this technology analyst said. It was amazing. He says, it's really hard to keep up the innovation cycle. When you have developed a successful product, with each successful generation of a product, it becomes harder. The question becomes, (laughs) what's the next big thing? And he says, and it's not clear what that is going to be. When I read that this week in Yahoo Finance, I was like, holy cow. This, this technology analyst sounds like an apologist for the problem of the American church. This is precisely the problem with churches who fail to ground believers in a solid confession of their faith. I want you to know I'm teaching you the church in catechism class, a solid confession of faith, the 39 articles. Please come and learn what you now believe as an Anglican church. I'm trying to ground all of you in a solid confession of the faith. We looked at original sin this morning. We studied the doctrine of free will this morning. Very important doctrines of what it means to be a Protestant Christian. So having set aside the ascended Christ gifted ones that Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter 4, these gifted ones who administer Christ's gifts, his word and sacrament for spiritual growth, it becomes really hard for churches to keep up the innovation cycle every Sunday. Churches teach believers to be consumers of the next successful product and to be always asking, what's the next big thing? Rather than learning to come to be recipients of the ordinary means of grace. Amen. In a culture of what's the next big thing, word and sacrament, preaching, juice or wine, we have wine, bread, bread, A baptismal font that looks old, out of date, commonplace, and it lacks the wow factor. And so, consequently, each with each successful generation of church, it becomes harder and harder because the question of churchless Christians who are always looking for everything, right? What's the next big thing? And it's never clear what the next big thing is going to be. And so because of this mindset of always looking for the next big thing, the apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4 verse 14, believers become vulnerable, vulnerable sheep to the trickery of men by craftiness in deceitful scheming or to use the sheep metaphor, believers are constantly feeding in the wrong pastures still with deadly spiritual ivy. You see, the Lord knows that we are sheep. And because of that, he knows we don't have the right instinct to eat the right spiritual food. He knows that we don't know how to pick the right fields. He knows that we don't know the right food to eat and that we're prone to wander. Another interesting article this week in BBC News UK, published several years ago, quite a, quite a few years ago, but it was an interesting article. It was a story about, entitled this, Turkish sheep die in mass jump. <laughs> And I want to read you part of the article that it reports about this story. Listen to what it says. It says, Turkish shepherds watched in horror as hundreds of their sheep followed each other over a cliff, say, Turkish newspaper reports. First, one sheep went over the cliff edge only to be followed by the whole flock, More than 400 sheep died in the 15 meter, that's 50 feet, fall. The 400 dead sheep cushioned the fall of 1100 others who followed them. Listen carefully. Because of the negligence of a bad shepherd One wandering sheep left the fold and the rest of them watched it and followed that sheep and 1500 sheep went over the cliff 400 died and became cushions for 1100 others Listen carefully. It isn't safe to wander out of the right pasture. The visible church is Christ's pasture where he oversees and cares for his sheep. As David says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Listen, Even read that and they think it's like this personal one-on-one hotline to heaven about how that happens. It's not how it happens. The Lord shepherds his people in his visible church through his gifted ones. Paul says in Ephesians 4 that he has gifted and poured out to his church. And the gospel that these gifted ones administer to the church, the word and sacrament, is the green pastures, it is the quiet waters, and it is the path of righteousness. And so the church, the visible church, is a place, not just a people, it is a place where God's People are fed and nurtured in the nutritious pastures of gospel grace by Christ's gifted ones. Listen to First Peter chapter 2, verse 25. Peter says that Jesus is the great shepherd and faithful overseer of the church. And how does he shepherd, and how does he oversee his church? Listen, he does it through his gifted ones. You see, as the great shepherd and as the faithful overseer of the church, Jesus not only faithfully feeds his sheep, but he protects them. I don't like it when people mess with people in my church. I don't like them being fed a bad spiritual ivy. I get very uncomfortable. And so after the ascension of Jesus, however, he no longer dwells among the church with his visible presence. He's, I don't see him this morning in flesh and blood right now. So how is he with us and overseeing us and shepherding us? Jesus continues to rule and reign over his church through human ministers. They are his instruments. They are his voice. And in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes that when Jesus ascended, he gave gifts. He gave gifted ones to the church, human ministers, through whom he has chosen to exercise his rule and reign in the church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, the risen, ascended Lord has graciously delegated, listen, the title of shepherd to human ministers, the exact same title that Christ is the great shepherd. Titus chapter 1, verse 7, he calls these human ministers overseers, episcopos, bishops, which we now have, who oversee me, who I'm accountable to. Who oversee you, who you are now accountable to. Because these qualified men, God uses, Jesus uses to govern and protect and feed and nurture his sheep. John Calvin uh, in the Institutes has an amazing discussion of this about the dignity and importance of the human ministry that God has gifted to his church. Listen to what he says. He said, This human ministry, which God uses to govern the church, is the chief sinew by which believers are held together in one body. He then also shows that the church can be kept intact only if it be upheld by the safeguards in which it pleased the Lord to place its salvation. And so important and so prestigious is this human ministry that the uh, ascended Christ has given gifts to the church, this human ministry. Listen, Calvin says there, speaking of the gifted ones, speaking of this human ministry that Christ governs and protects us and feeds his church through, Calvin says this about that. There is nothing more notable or glorious in the church than the ministry of the gospel, since it is the administration of the spirit and of righteousness and of eternal life. That is an amazing statement about the dignity of the preaching office of the church. The spiritual food that Christ's gifted ones serve the sheep in these green pastures and still waters and paths of righteousness is the means of grace, this word and sacrament. What is means of grace? Means of grace is simply this. It is the means that the Holy Spirit uses to give you Christ and all of his saving benefits every time. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, preaching of the law and especially the gospel, means of grace, and the sacraments. This bread and this wine that you see and this water in that baptismal font that you see, listen, they have the same function as the Word of God. What is that function? It is to proclaim Christ. When you walk through those doors in the front of the church every week and the first thing you do is you walk smack into that baptismal font. It's there so that you do that because it's proclaiming to you Christ. This bread and this wine that you're looking at right now on this table, it is a visible, tangible, physical proclamation. Christ And so believers hear the gospel through the reading and especially preaching of the word. And when that happens, they are apprehended by Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit creates faith in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel. And then in addition to the word of God, which is the chief means of grace, there are the sacraments, baptism, and the Lord's Supper, which are visible words, They are visible proclamation of the gospel. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, whenever you observe this sacrament, he says, you are proclaiming, right, the Lord's death until he comes. And so through the sacraments, the Holy Spirit confirms our faith. He strengthens our faith. He assures and nourishes our faith. Why, why do we do this every week? Because oh, we want to be high church. No. No. Because unless your faith is confirmed, nourished, comforted, assured, you cannot obey. And we're trying to teach you how to obey because as I have been grossly slandered, All over social media, I am not an antinomian. I'm trying to teach myself and you as a church how to obey God's law and pursue holiness. But you can't do it without the comfort of the gospel because it is the gospel that encourages and motivates and empowers you to obey. And so in his grace and care for his church, when Christ ascended to heaven, Paul says that he gave gifts. Ephesians 4, verse 8, gifted ones to his church for the purpose of bringing believers into the fullness of Christ. And so in Ephesians 4, when Paul speaks of growing up, of becoming mature in Christ, you know what his first thought is? It is being recipients of the work of ministry that Christ gave to his church. He says that the ascended Christ has given gifts to his church. Verse 11, he tells us who the gifts are. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, and some as teachers. Those are the gifts. These are Christ's gifts to you.
0: Thanks, John. The message you just heard is called, He Knows We Are Sheep, Part 1. More from the Gospel Mystery of Sanctification series coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clearer understanding of the gospel and God's Word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at paramountchurch.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time.